Hello and welcome to In the Art Scene podcast, a place where creatives share their stories. My name is Galina Marquez and I have another cool story prepared for you today. So let's get to it. Hello everybody and welcome to the next episode of In the Art Scene and we have two guests today. Uh, one is Elizabeth Rorba, who you might remember from the previous season. We had uh, the most amazing and inspiring conversation where she actually mentioned her participation in the OMA program uh, from uh, Miami University. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and her colleague, who is the founder of uh, this program, her name is also Elizabeth Lokan, uh, also known as Lika. So to not confuse both Elizabeths, I will call one Elizabeth Elizabeth and the other one is uh, Lika. Okay. So hi, ladies. How are you doing? Great. Very well. Thank you so much for taking your time. I know that you live in different places in the country and uh, it's you, you both have pretty tough schedules, but I really, really wanted to talk to you about that program because it sounded like something amazing and something that every university or uh, I mean, every state on the on the state level should have. So can we you think so, too? Yeah. <laughs> That's the Lika. goal. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. So the question um, I have for Lika, since you're a founder of this program, can you can you uh, talk a little bit about what the program is, uh, what's the goal, and and how did you get an idea to to start it? So the program is called OMA, Opening Minds to Art, um, which means grandmother in Dutch and in German. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, in honor of all the women that that gave us birth (laughs) and uh it's an intergenerational art program for people living with dementia so older adults living with dementia get paired one-on-one with a younger person usually a high school or college student and then these pairs meet in small groups and they make art they make abstract art the mission of the program is to build bridges across age and cognitive barriers, which means building friendship between the younger and older, between the people without dementia, the students without dementia, and people living with dementia. And art is the connector. So building bridges across age and cognitive barriers through art. And the vision is to change social perception of people living with dementia. Um, Right now, people living with dementia are considered um, not useful, not contributing to society, uh, just deficient. And hopefully by giving younger people opportunities to engage with people who are living with dementia one-on-one every week, the same person, they, they always stay with the same partner, that they come to see the humanity of the person living with dementia and then start seeing them as still a person, still able to be creative, able to to experience joy, to teach younger people, even if they can no longer speak or remember things or put on their socks or, you know, any kind of impairment does not diminish them as a human being. And that's what uh, the students are learning. And if we can change students' perception one person at a time through this kind of experience, then hopefully we can have a world that is more accepting and more inclusive of people who are living with dementia. That that sounds amazing. I mean, um, I, I honestly, I have uh, when I spoke with Elizabeth last time, uh, I was so blown away by by the the structure and the the activity, the the amount of outreach, and uh, more than anything, by the results of the program. But before we get to the results, I wanted to ask you what what personally inspired you to come up with this? Um, I'm an educator. So I started 
I, I studied education and I taught preschool and elementary school. I skipped high school and junior high school because it's too challenging. And then I taught college. But um, I didn't really understand what aging is all about. I only know development people from birth until adulthood. But then the second half, when you get older, what happens and what are the challenges? All of this, I I don't really understand. So I decided to go back to school to study gerontology. And then um, when I was starting to study gerontology, I'm into sports personally. So I thought I was going to go into health and exercise and all these things. Um, but I have no idea what I wanted to do. And I just uh, started visiting nursing homes. And, and then I started seeing people living with dementia are just parked in front of TVs or in front of the nurse's station. And they're bored, they're falling asleep, they are disengaged. And uh, when there's programming, the programming is very childish and, and people don't participate. And so my education background was awakened by that scene of people that are disengaged because as a teacher, you always want people to be engaged and you meet people wherever they are. And the fact that they were not served to grow, they were just kept clean and safe and comfortable, I think is a violation of their rights to be a human being because we always want to learn. We always want to grow. We always want to improve, even when we have dementia. And that's not what I was seeing. And so that's when I switched from trying to focus on exercise science and aging to uh, focusing on dementia. And my undergraduate was in art. So I found that art was accessible even when the brain is damaged to access other things, art still accessible to them. So that's when um, I put all the pieces together to design the program. Do you, do you have a specific curriculum uh, or have you just experimented bringing different arts to the elderly people in the nursing homes and see what they will respond to better? Or how is it? Because to me, like in, in my, uh, in my head and I, I did not grow up in this country. So a lot of the things that people like you are doing to me are pretty much a heroic act because this is an official program that is affecting many, many lives right now. So to me, it's like, you have to, you have to like do a lot of homework first and then go through the bureaucratic hell to get that going. <laughs> so I cannot, I cannot imagine how, how someone, one person, or I don't know if you had a team uh, from the get-go, can put those things together, get people who are inspired, get students involved, get the nursing homes on board, and voila, we have, we have changed the world. I didn't grow up in this country either. I grew up in Indonesia. And now there are some, a few nursing homes, but there were no nursing homes in Indonesia when I was growing up. So um, when I visited nursing home, I, I was, it was all new experience to me. And I tried to engage and try to connect with people. And I found that it's difficult to connect with people because I try to talk to them and five minutes and then I run out of things to say to each other. And so then um, I was studying, I was a grad student in gerontology. So I was studying other people's work. That's when I found Anne Basting. She's the founder of Time Slips. And that's a storytelling program for people living with dementia. I look at, you look at some kind of a, a photograph and then you make up imaginative story from that photograph. So I started reading her work and was interested in exploring further. So then I saw her in a conference and after reading some uh, papers that she published, 
then I listened to her presentations at this conference. And then at the end, I asked her if I could intern with her. That's when she put me in a nursing home. She said, you want to intern? Great. Come over here. And, and this is in Wisconsin. So um, she gave me a, a, an apartment in a nursing home so that I can feel what it feels like to live in a nursing home. And then I get 24-hour access to older adults so I can try and fail to com- connect with them. Um, so and, and at the same time, I was also watching... Um, how different programs try to create engagement with older adults. I did um, shadowed people from Memories in the Making, which is an Alzheimer's Association program. Um, I went to the Netherlands. They have a lot of programs that is progressive and very person-centered and creative. So I went there for a summer to study. So I, I studied different people's work before I decided what I wanted to do. And then I, from studying that, I observed how the older adults living with dementia respond to the different um, opportunities for creative engagement. And I saw, again, I'm using my educator lens when I'm observing things. And I found that there is room for a better program that really can tap the creativity and imagination of older adults living with dementia. Um, so, it, but I, I didn't know what to do. I only know that I have a art background as an undergraduate. I have PhD in education. I'm studying to become a gerontologist. But just because of that combination in my personal background. I was able to do trial and error using abstract art. There's no expectation of what this painting is going to look like. There's a lot of playfulness embedded into that. And I found that people living with dementia can engage in playfulness and can engage in uh, experimentation and can build relationship with me. <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they smile to me. They, they don't remember my name maybe, but they, they recognize me. They can experience joy. They can say, oh, thank you. Come again. I really enjoy myself. All of those things are what they are able to do. So through trial and error, I figured out what it takes for them to experience joy when they're making art. So then after trying several different, I think I probably did a trial and error for maybe a year. And then we come up with my thesis was, what what are the components of this program that would work for people living with dementia that normally they don't get in everyday life? So I try to fill in the gaps based on all the learning that I observe from other people's attempt. And and a lot of people are successful, like Time Slips is a very successful program. But theater, that's Ann Basting's background is theater. So storytelling and theater, that's her background. I don't know music. I don't know theater, but I know visual arts. So I developed visual arts program that uses these principles that would work. So then the challenge is how to make it systematic, like you said, curriculum, how to make it systematic so that I can communicate to other people who want to do it, that this is what it takes. This is how it would work. And if you don't apply these principles, it won't work. And then you you codify, you create really a system of principles, you create a bank of projects and all these things, training program. And Beth is very critical in um, helping, you know, develop OMA. So we have initially just Miami University students going to nearby nursing homes. And then I was alone at the time doing everything myself. And then 
um, it got to be too busy for me to do it alone. And then Beth joined the team. So it's just Beth and me. And then when Beth joined, we um, said, hey, this is working. So why don't we teach other people? So then we start training program where we train other nursing home staff members, not just local area here. And that's how it grew from, it was 2014, right? When did you join, Beth? I joined in 2013, and it was the local seven or eight in mm-hmm. Oxford, Ohio, that we were seeing. And I think when I uh, left the program, we were up to 175, mm-hmm. if I remember right. Right. And now it's over 200. So it's it comes from training, making a systematic curriculum material and all those things. Um, And then when pandemic hit, we developed online training, and that makes it even more accessible for people to adopt the program um, without having to travel. So that's how we grew. You you, uh, just wanted to make one comment. You were ladies just taking the questions off my tongue, because that was exactly the question I was going to ask Elizabeth. So please continue. You are doing the interview without me perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it would it would be helpful to have a, a visual snapshot snapshot of how the program runs. So yes. in um, training the students in the classroom, like Lika said, we we predominantly used college students used. They were enrolled in the class. Um, but we also incorporated some high school students in some areas. And the beginning of the semester, several weeks were taken in class training, and we would share with them fundamentals of how the brain works, what is happening physically with people living with dementia, how to communicate with them, how to uh, potentially manage some behaviors that you might see, just to eliminate some of the anxiety. Because there is sort of, a, especially with that young age group, there's a barrier you don't normally see the younger generation just casually going into nursing homes. They're not visiting there very often unless they have a specific person. Um, So there's a lot of that to overcome. And then, so that's the first two, two to four weeks. And then the remainder of a semester is spent actually visiting a long-term care facility. So each student is partnered with an elder and they remain in that partnership through the duration of the semester. And that student is there literally sitting next to them for the entire session. There are two leaders that, that drive the session, that coordinate it and lead the process along. But the students are there with the elder to encourage, obviously, keep them safe if that's necessary, but to enable them to be the person doing the art. So a lot of the comments we would get in the beginning when people hear about this program is, oh, you have the student help the elder do the art. And that's absolutely not what happens. The elder does all of the creative decision-making, all of the creative art-making. The student is just there to help and encourage and be a cheerleader. Well, th- thank you for that. That that is very helpful, and that also was one of my questions that I kind of kept in the back of my mind. Uh, I also wanted to ask you, Elizabeth, um, what was your role when you joined Lika uh, in developing of the program? And then uh, the next question is, how did you decide that you want to have students involved? Um, so I joined when I was still working full time in corporate and as we talked in the previous yeah. interview. Yeah, I remember that. And I, it was just, you know, a portion of one morning a week that I would go and sit with an elder. And I was just enthralled with the program. I saw how much my partner was able to, uh, to grow and to engage. You know, when she initially started, it was difficult. She felt distant. She would kind of do the project. But over the course of that semester, she couldn't wait to see me. She couldn't wait to come down and do the art. You, so you see them, quote unquote, come alive again. 
So it, it, it really does touch parts of them that are just not being engaged. They're still there, but no one is interacting with them in the same way that we do during the program. So I wanted to be more involved post that. And I sent Lika several messages. How can I become a leader? How can I be a facilitator? Because my initial goal was to take the program to my father's long-term care facility. But in that process of conversations, it ended up that I left my job at Procter & Gamble and went to Miami to work for the program full-time. So that was in 2013. Wow. Yeah. And how it became uh, an intergenerational program, your question about how we started involving students, that was just by accident. Initially, when the program um, the idea came about in 2007, and of my first trial and error was in 2008. And in 2008, um, it was just me trying to do things. But I understand that, you know, when you have, after observing nursing homes several months and living in one for a few, you know, a summer, but basically when you run um, a program in a memory care, it's hard to be the only person doing the work because everybody needs special attention. So I know that. And then so I recruited um, Brad, my husband, and, and Irene, who is a retired art teacher, my friend. I said, I need help. Um, can you come and try this, do this with me? So then um, they came and helped, and it was it was good. It was helpful to have three people running it. And then after running it, we I asked them, so so how was it? How was it for you? And they started talking about how much they personally learn and grow as a result of helping me run this art activity in a nursing home. So based on that, I thought now if if these two people can actually learn and grow as a result of this, then Miami students should be able to learn and grow. And so then that be, that's when we decided to start with students. And, and then when Beth came, we expanded it from Miami University students to high school students, and it still works. So now it's a lot easier to find high school near a nursing home than a university, like in smaller towns, there's always a high school, but there may not be a university. So that that was um, how it all began to become intergenerational. So I have another question. Uh, so the students are not necessarily art students. They're just any students who can be who want to be involved in this. That's or, right. Um, I assume it's, a, it's on a volunteer basis, right? It's not the part of their semester. So there are two ways to join. There's a volunteer only, and we call it OMA Club, and there's no credit. But uh, eventually, not right away, but at the beginning, it was all just volunteer. But eventually, we we formed a, a course, a couple of different courses, gerontology courses that um, that students can take for credit. And because the university approved it because it's a service learning um, experience. And also because it's an experiential learning experience. They're hands-on, they're out in the community, they're giving back to community and so on. So the university approved it for that. And then eventually they approved it for, um, actually initially they approved it as, as an honors program experience because it's different from their everyday life. And so this becomes like a, an honors enhancement experience. So that's the first part. And then it was approved as a service learning, experiential learning. And then the third thing was, um, it was approved as an intercultural perspective course. And, and that's because um, intercultural perspective usually means you go study abroad, you learn another culture, and then you meet that requirement. And all students have to do all of these things. But um, OMA gets approved as an intercultural perspective because you're technically really entering a whole new environment. You learn how to communicate 
not a foreign language, but it's a different way of communicating with them. And it's a whole different culture to enter a nursing home. You have to carry yourself in a slightly different way. You have to be very aware how you are interacting with others, just like when you're going to another country, another culture. So when it was approved to meet all these things, then it became very um, easy to recruit students to join the program. And, and what is the geography of your program right now? So you started with Miami University, then Miami high schools. Uh, and then I, I guess I'm asking Elizabeth, did it actually end up in your father's uh, nursing facility? It did um, about a year after I was with the program. And in fact, part of engaging high school students was a piece of that as well, because my father didn't live in Oxford. It was almost an hour away, but there were two high school students very, or high schools very nearby. So I was able to recruit mostly honors students, really. They, their students are interested in this if you explain it and what the program actually is, because they get as much out of it as the others do. Um, so it was 2014 that I was able to start the program at my father's long-term care facility. Yeah. And I, I believe we were there about two and a half years. And, and then it stopped? Well, I, I moved into other things with OMA and was unable to continue there. And there's, there is some funding involved. So I couldn't raise all of the funding that, I, that we needed to continue. Um, and in fact, at that point, my father was not able to participate anymore. So it wasn't as high of a priority for me personally. I mean, I still obviously visited with all of those elders, but we didn't continue the program there. Uh, where else did you take the program um, geographically? Uh, well, in the those those first years were all fairly close geographically, but when we started designing the training program to train facilitators, so by that I mean the people that lead it, mm -hmm. not the ones sitting with the elders, we had people from literally all over the world come to that. So as far away as Japan, wow, um, Australia, mm -hmm. if I recall, mm -hmm. there was someone from South America, lots of people from Canada. So mm -hmm. it's, it's all over the United States. I'm not sure what other countries it's in now besides those, but. Someone, this is just like one person. Yeah. So U.S. and Canada is lots, hundreds. We, we've trained 700 people so far. Wow. But in terms of overseas, um, we have one from Brazil, one from Japan, one from Australia, one from Spain. And that's, that's about all for our international. But yeah. yeah, and but next year I'm going to Indonesia, uh, my home country, because I got a Fulbright scholarship to bring OMA to Indonesia. So the idea is to start with one pilot, but then to spread it throughout the whole uh, country, the whole all of Indonesia. So. That's that's amazing. So my next question is. With those 700 people that you have trained as facilitators, as leaders, uh, some of them being international, have you heard of some or any who actually has implemented that program in, in their home area? Yes, one in the, the person who was trained in Brazil, um, when we do this, uh, fully online training, part of their training is, is us observing them actually running the program. It may be small because they're just starting. So um, I saw this Brazilian woman, I, everything is in Portuguese. So I didn't, I didn't understand what was being said, but because thanks to Zoom, I could see everything. And what I, it's amazing how much information you can gain by observing and listening to tone of voice and things like that, that you could still see the, the impact of the program on the older adult. And then 
the volunteer is, is a family member. So the whole thing was conducted over Zoom, actually. Uh, the, the facilitator was on Zoom. The people living with dementia with, was on Zoom. The caregiver, the daughter, was in person with the person living with dementia. And I was on Zoom watching everything. So um, it, it's amazing, amazing how it translates. Because when you break it down, OMA is basically about human connection, A. And B is about um, creative exploration with materials, with art materials. And that's universal. Both of those things are universal. So I don't think language is going to be an issue uh, for anyone. And, you know, training, when I'm training in Indonesia, the training part is language dependent because people need to understand the concepts. But the practice of it, I think, is independent of language. But going back to her question with of those 700 people, very often, uh, facility would send two at least to be trained. And you said you're over, there's over 200 facilities now across the United States that are operating in OMA. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So what happens to the other 500? <laughs> well, well, because there are two, right? Like because there's two. two. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and there are some, I mean, the, the program is intensive. It does take funding. It does take materials. It takes time. Mm -hmm. So very often, as people were trained, we would coach them that this next year is your learning period. It's going to probably take a year for you to get up and running, and then you know throw a pandemic in the mix. So yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that that makes everyone's life easier. Yeah, <laughs> and also there's there's um, people sometimes they're up and they're trained and up and running, but they don't tell us that they're up and running so they don't get included mm -hmm. in the count, the site count. So it's probably more than what's listed on the website. I see. So uh, if, if anyone is interested, anyone who's listening to us is interested to um, get trained as a facilitator, how would they go about it? They would go to our website, which is scriptsoma.org. Scripts is spelled S-C-R-I-P-P-S. OMA, O-M-A dot org. There's no hyphen, no period or anything. All one word scripts OMA. And uh, in there, there's a tab that's called training. And then you can choose fully online, hybrid. Right now, we still don't have a fully in person because we just, the training happens in a nursing home so that they can practice and, and engage with actual people living with dementia, not just role play, but actually doing it. and and we haven't had access to nursing homes that would allow people from all over to come uh, and, and be in the nursing home. So we don't have a fully in-person yet. But for the hybrid, you can do hybrid training in Calgary, Alberta, in Richmond, Virginia, and in Oxford, Ohio, and also in Cleveland, Canal Fulton, which is around Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, we used to have one in Missouri, but that's been inactive. But that, you know, we, we're continuing to think about different uh, places where we can have training centers for people to go to. Let's take a short coffee break. Producing this podcast sure takes a lot of energy. Would you buy me a coffee so I can continue doing it? I would really appreciate it. The link is in the show notes and on our website, intheartscene.com. Thanks for supporting our show. Another question I have is how did you, you mentioned that you have a bank of projects that uh, you're bringing to the facilities to work with elders. Um, and I would assume that Elizabeth was very instrumental with, in developing the bank of projects. Is that is that correct? So yeah. uh, actually, everyone in the program, all of the student leaders, all uh -huh. of the adult leaders, anyone who's a trained facilitator can design an art project. I have a couple, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe more than a couple in the years I was there, but but there are what over a hundred and. Yeah. 20 some yeah. projects yeah. that we've 
we have designed that that's shareable information that can be repeated. So in terms of that structure that you're providing to someone that you're training, all of that is already there for them to use. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a few examples of what kind of art projects you, you're using uh, or in the bank? Well, there's like, so for example, printmaking. Mm -hmm. um, you know those gelatin yes. that you make? Yeah, jello plates, uh huh? Jello plate, yeah. That's just fun to, to touch and squeeze. And, you know, you start with that and then, and then, People, anybody can roll paint and put stencils or, you know, some kind of barriers to paint. And then you, you put the paper on and you peel it off. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that's the kind of things that we do. That you want to fundamental of the projects, are, they always include choices. So as Lika talked about early on, people living with dementia can still make those choices. They still really love red or they don't love red. So we offer them color choices, you offer tool choices. So in that room of 15 or so people that are making art, every one of them will make something different in its individual through making those choices in the process. Um, but the, as she mentioned before too, everything is based on abstract art. So it's not skill-based, necessarily it's choice-based and preference-based so, and so in doing that I would really encourage you go look at the website I will and see some sure. of the art that's there um, because most people don't believe that someone living with dementia actually made that I will make sure that the website link will be in the show notes uh, as well as the samples of, of what kind of art art projects are uh, being created mm -hmm. That's amazing. So Creative Caregiving Guide is also on our website. We'll encourage people to go and take a look and uh, take advantage of it if, if indeed they are living with someone who has dementia at home and they're right. isolated. Right. It, right. It's because that guide, you know, we talk about the facilitators and nursing homes and training and all that. So that's like the traditional OMA program. The Creative Caregiving Guide is not as steep a learning curve because it's designed for family caregiver or it could be, a, you know, like someone who takes care to visit someone regularly. It doesn't have to be family, but people living at home that are um, doing, you know, personal care and doctor's appointments and all these things that people need help with, but they oftentimes forget that their client or their mom also need some kind of creative spiritual engagement, and that is undertended. So this, this creative caregiving guide was designed by the National Center for Creative Aging by pulling uh, the leading programs in movement, in theater, in visual arts, in uh, art viewing, like museum programs, in poetry, poetry, and all these different uh, modalities. And so you have a one master teaching artist. And these are little video, little video vignettes of maybe seven, ten minutes you'll see three people in there. There's a master teaching artist, there's someone living with dementia, and there's a caregiver. And then the master teaching ar artist shows the caregiver how to infuse poetry, how to infuse visual arts in the da daily routine of caregiving. So it makes it a lot more uh, enjoyable, not only for the older adults, but also for the caregivers so that they can do something other than doctor appointments and personal care. And in, in that, uh, on that page, there are 19 lessons wow. that anyone can access anytime. Wow. It has, it has the videos on how to do it. It has the, all the handouts. It has the project. It has a list of materials, if it's visual arts, you know, that you need. So, and a couple of them are in Spanish. We should do more, but because that project ended, we haven't added anything, but there are 19 there. 
um, currently that That, anyone can use now. That is an amazing resource. Absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. resource. Yeah. Um, I wanted to switch a little bit uh, from from the process to back to science a little bit. Um, So from the uh, cognitive development perspective in Lika, I think you as uh, as the person who is educated in, in early development and uh, gerontology as well can can comment on all of those things because uh, a lot of what we are talking about kind of makes me think and yeah at the moment of recording I'm still eight months pregnant so <laughs> the question is kind of <laughs> uh, interests me from from the personal perspective a lot of what what you guys are saying. Uh, sounds to me like those are those are very similar to children art activities, and I've had uh, my own experience in 2020 when the neighboring uh, moms just asked me to do something with their kids in the summer, and I ran a little bit of a summer uh, summer art camp right on my driveway, and I was terrified because I had a bunch of eight year olds that I had no idea what to do with, and little by little uh, we ended up having a, a, like the summer of our lives like both me and them. Uh, But I kind of stepped into it absolutely not knowing anything about their attention span, about what what can be interesting for them, how I need to behave, how how do I engage them. Uh, So that sounds to me that uh, those are those kind of simple to understand, simple to manipulate with some uh, very interesting visual effects that... um, hit the right hemisphere of your brain uh those projects are more um like more engaging or more uh, positive uh, positively affecting the cognitive function is that i'm do i like i'm I'm mumbling right now because the science is totally not my language (laughs) so um what works for people living with dementia i think in terms of their ability to um, engage, we 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 provide structure, but within that structure, there's freedom. So, for example, um, that earlier example of gel gelatin printing, mm-hmm. you know. So. First thing maybe they have to do is after they explore the the gelatin, the first thing they need to do is is choose what kind of colors they want. And that's all we do. We don't say, oh, and then you're going to do this and then you're going to use the color and then you're going to do this and then too many things. So it's just one thing. Just choose a color. Like Beth said, this is, you know, choice is big for us. So you give them and you don't ask them, so what color do you want? Because they can't, they don't know what they want. So what we give them is you usually we give them two paper plates and on the paper plate, there'd be colors already poured out and maybe one or two or whatever, three. And then we say, which plate do you like? Which, which looks better to you? And then we just wait and let them take time. And everything is slow, much slower because the world is going too fast. And then they, they seem disabled because they cannot keep up with the normal fast-paced world but if you slow things down then they can feel like they're normal they don't get left behind by the so we give them choice we show them exactly the choices um so they don't have to know the word green or gold or anything they just look and that something appeals they choose and they just plenty of time to make the choice and then after that, we, we say, okay, now you're going to use this brayer and you're going to mix this color and you put it on the gelatin, put it like this. And that's all they have to do. That's just the one thing. So we structure it by very clear step-by-step process, but within each step, there is choice. Um, and, and you end up with very unique um, results. And the other thing that is important when working with people living with dementia is that any small action on their part should create a big splash. So if, if 
they use a brayer and they put just one one roll like that, you get a big patch of color as opposed to a little tiny pen where they have to, and they can't see the effect of their action. That doesn't work. So every time you do something with them, you need to have a very spectacular effect for every small effort that they put into. And that encouraged them to put in more effort, more action. And so if you keep doing these kind of principles, certain structure and choices and immediate big splash impact, then they continue being engaged with you and with the project. I think one other aspect though, Galena, you were talking about doing this program with the children in your neighborhood. These programs in OMA, all of the art projects are based on abstract art, but very often have a very popular or famous artist as an influence. So before the project even starts, the facilitator will go around the room and show each of the elders an example of what they were going to make. They're never meant to mimic that or to repeat it, but we would have Jackson Pollock, you know, famous artists that we could show books and this is what they created. And here's Mark Rothko. And they may or may not have heard those names before, but by golly, if they're printed in an art book, they know that they're famous and they think, well, you know, I can do something like that. And then at the end, we kind of bring that back around and you can compare their artwork to what the what was done in the book. And almost every time these artists will say, well, I think I like mine better than what he did. <laughs> and then you tell them something like, well, his just sold for 24 million. <laughs> you know, so it, it really does help their confidence. It builds they they feel so good about what they've created. And it does kind of differentiate it away from children's art. So that's one of the primary factors um, working in long-term care facilities. For better or worse, that seems to be what the activity directors often bring because, and it's it's understandable, most of the supplies are cheap. They're easily accessible. And it's something that they can direct because even if they're a, an activities director, it doesn't mean they have any kind of art training. So this program, while it is really drenched in art and understanding and color theory and things, all of that in the background, anyone, whether they have artist training or not, can facilitate it. And all of the artists, can participate whether they're an artist or not. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and and especially the comment about twenty four million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine how happy it makes them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, last time, Elizabeth, when we spoke, you mentioned um, the effect that this program is actually having on students. I, I want to switch gears a, a little bit because that is also profound. The story that you told me last time about the uh, the girl who was suffering from depression, I believe, um, right? So uh, I, I would like for both of you to talk a little bit about that, because we we kind of explored the effect on the, uh, on the people living with dementia, how much it uh, makes their life more vibrant and uh, yeah, it just uh, fills their day. And just like Lika said, they have a, a, a human right to to be creative and not just being, you know, cleaned and put in a basket like a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with students, uh, that is something different, right? Not only yeah. they learn uh, the, the sense of compassion and humanity uh, and, um, you know, learn just not to brush off someone who is not as capable as they are in the, or not contributing to the society, just, just like you were talking about at the beginning. Uh, it also affects their uh, mental well-being in a big time, right? So yeah, yeah I, would, I would say there were, um, when I joined the program as a leader, I was astonished 
at how many students I found that, you know, I found out later on were dealing with anxiety or depression and on a serious level. So there wasn't just one, I, I mentioned one, but what I mentioned was over and over again, those students that were struggling with that found that coming to OMA and being a part of it not only lessened the feelings that they were having, but it gave them purpose. And I think that's something that so many people are struggling with right now, not only, you know, trying to figure out at that age, what is my life purpose? What am I meant to do? But having a purpose to get up the next day. And they they go into the program thinking, I want to join this because it's such a good thing. I'm going to give this person this enjoyable time. And so much more, they come back saying, I got so much more out of it than I gave to the elder. And they have a reason for coming because they are partnered one-on-one. The students realize there are no extra students coming to this class. If you don't come to the program, then your partner can't come out and do the art because while we would try to have people available, it didn't sometimes couldn't happen. And they just did not want to disappoint their partner. So that not only gave them some stress release from their other school classes and tests and exams, but it also gave them purpose, which reduced their stress and anxiety because all they had to do, all they had to do was sit with this person and love them, essentially. And they got so much love in return that it was never a problem to do that. They looked forward to it every week. We have no absenteeism or preoccupation with the phone or tardiness or anything because people like to have meaning in their life. And this is one thing that gives them meaning. So on a, on a research level, we actually studied the students' um, change in attitudes towards older adults. It's easy enough to love your own grandparents, you know, but can you really love somebody who is just some random older person in a nursing home? I think that's more challenging. And like Beth said, they start out as doing this as community work or community service, you know, uh, or looking good in my resume mm -hmm. because I have done this work. But in the end, they learn something greater. So when what we did with the studies is we give them a pretest and then we give them post-test after OMA training and OMA experience for one semester. And then we compare the pretest and post-test. And the tools we use is there are a couple of different tools. One is called dementia attitude scale. This is how they feel about people living with dementia. And then the other one is called allophilia. Allo is the other, philia is liking, liking of the other. And this tool originally was used in race relations, in conflict resolution between two different groups of people, but it was never used with people who have no dementia, younger students with older people as the other. So when we did this comparison, at the end of the semester, their liking of the older adult grew tremendously. And because of that study, then um, we were able to take OMA to medical schools because medical schools, they're, they're good with the science, they're lacking in the humanities. And usually their schedules are so tight with so busy with everything and they don't uh, develop this compassion and empathy. And so there, there is a phenomenon called the, the empathy drift. By the third year, they'd start out, oh, I'm going to become a doctor because I like to be helpful to society and help people. By the third year, the empathy drift, they, they become less empathetic. So because of this um, effect of OMA on students, 
medical schools start adopting OMA to keep students connected to their patients. And then if, you know, OMA is specifically with people living with dementia, but once they feel that connection and they improve that empathy, it can be transferred to other population, other people, other patients. So we have a couple of studies uh, on that, that that shows the students' learning and growth as a result of participating in the program. That is amazing to see the expansion of influence of OMA. Not only, like we started with nursing facilities and we started with like a couple in Miami. Now we have students in university, we have high school students, we have medical students, we have, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, have you, uh, so have you followed up with any of the students who participated in the program for one semester or has any of them came back uh, after they graduated to work with you or you know about their lives, something <laughs> happened. I mean, give me some juicy anecdotes. I was just telling Beth about these three students. They they were at Miami as an undergraduate and they went through OMA program and then they graduated and they got their jobs. They One went to China on Peace Corps and all these different things. Anyway, and then um, they wanted to do something like Beth was saying that people want to have meaning. And if they have like a tech job or some kind of business job, it's sometimes difficult to have meaning. So then they remembered their undergraduate years. So these three women, they didn't know each other at Miami. Um, They graduated at different times, so they didn't know each other, but they all live in the same area and in Cleveland. And I introduced the three of them because I know all three of them. And then uh, they decided to form their own nonprofit called PAIR, Promoting mm-hmm. Arts and Intergenerational Relationships. Wow. And it, 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 the whole purpose of PAIR is to help expand OMA in that region, the Northeast Ohio. Um, and they have been great and they've, they've found each other, they help each other and they they're very helpful to to us because we can't do everything that we need to do, but they're working. And then um, we, we support them financially for their time to help us and so on. Not, not much, but just, I think they're motivated by um, having this need to be socially uh, contributing to be socially to, to matter. They need to matter in society. And if they couldn't find something in their current life, then they start thinking about what they had and they just make it happen by opening this, starting this new nonprofit. If you want to talk to them, <laughs> it might be an interesting absolutely, third, absolutely. Third iteration. <laughs> I would love to connect to them. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can send you their contacts. Uh, I would love to. Thank you. I think college students, some, when I joined the program, you know, I've college students can get a bad rap, not the ones that worked with us. They were outstanding. They worked harder than you could imagine. They were more devoted to the program and to us personally. I still keep in touch with several of them. They send me messages on Instagram or send me a text message, you know, when they get married and have a baby and things like that. So they, they really, I think, learned about relationships in that program and they stuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they permanently become a better person. And once they know how it feels, how rewarding, how complete they feel, you know, not just me and my my classes and my exams and my friends, they start feeling more full as a human being. When that need is missing, they will find it. Maybe Oma, maybe not Oma, maybe something else. But there is there is that search for how can I be helpful and how can I matter to other people? And that stays with them even beyond OMA, beyond graduation. And that 
I think is an important growth that the ones that went through and, and had the opportunity to see that in themselves um, benefit. And it's unfortunate if people don't get to feel that and they just go through life sort of like semi-blindfolded. Well, those are probably sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I genuinely believe that empathy uh, is and compassion is the cure for the world. And yeah. uh, whatever, whatever path you take to get it, um, there's, a, there's an amazing podcast that I personally uh, love. Uh, it's called the, um, the Happiness Lab. Mm -hmm. And in their first season, they were exploring how uh, having this purpose of helping others actually makes us happier. Yes. And I think yeah. that's what OMA gives students. Yes. Yes. That's Absolutely. Amazing. Well, ladies, uh, this is an amazing conversation. Uh, I, I like I have goosebumps just like the first time I spoke with Elizabeth. <laughs> we, I, I was so inspired. I was I was all on, you know, like tingly and having having goosebumps down my spine. It's it's amazing what uh, what you were and you're continuing this program, right? So the the program is live and expanding. And as you said, you are going to Indonesia now to bring it. Uh, you know, to full speed. Um, yeah. Do you have any plans for further foreign expansion after Indonesia? So what we're developing is a, a web-based app where people from different generations can connect through the arts. So it's called Scripps Avid, A-V-I-D. A stands for arts-based virtual, intergenerational, and dementia-friendly. And basically, it um, you create an account. It's, everything's going to be free. It's not out yet. It'll be out this June. Everything's free. You create an account. You say what generation you are. And then you say when you're available and how often you want to meet. And then we, it's like a matching game. We match them. And then they will connect with each other. And then we give them prompts. And some of the prompts are, it's not all visual arts, could be poetry, music, whatever. And, and, but these prompts come from the virtual OMA classes. When we hit the pandemic, we still had to continue to teach. And we expanded to include people without dementia, some with dementia, but we also expanded to include other art modalities besides visual arts. And it was so well received by both the older adults and the students that we decided to develop this Scripps Avid. And once this is out, it's going to be available in public to build connection between um, generations through the arts. And then yesterday, I just found out that we were, that this program, this new program is being funded by the National Endowment for the Arts. Wow. So, yeah, so that's the expansion we're doing. And then, you know, right now, one of the variable is language. So English speaker get matched with English speaker. But when hopefully when this is successful and this gets big, if your choice is lingu language is Chinese and then you have another someone with Chinese, they can be connected. And then um, the prompt has to be translated. I don't know exactly how that's going to work because we are not. <laughs> but they could read in English perhaps the prompt. And then communicate in Chinese or something like that. So that probably is the next international expansion. That is that is amazing. The episode is coming out in July. So everything you were talking about is going to be on the website with all the links. So people can get the uh, the app and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, get 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 out with this program anywhere in the world where they can read English and bring it out to their communities. Yeah, yeah. How, how big is your uh, listenership? It's not as big right now, but this uh, episode is going to be in the fourth season. So we're growing slowly but surely. Uh, I would say we're reaching, uh, on social media, we're reaching about uh, a thousand people every single episode. Um, the analytics on my anchor are showing much lower numbers, 
But the thing that uh, I personally adore about this podcast is whoever signs up never drops out. Mm. So people mm. stay with us. That mm, mm, mm. that'll be great because you know we probably gonna need more users of this uh, new web-based app. Because if you don't have enough users, then it's harder to match people. So I will make sure that I spread the word and and maybe connect you with other podcasters as well. That would be lovely. So yeah. I'm going to connect you with the 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 three students graduates mm -hmm. and. Um, and then when the new website come out, I will also put the creative caregiving guide in there and the scripts Avid in there. I will make sure to follow up with you because uh, for every episode, I, I collect all the references that we were talking about. And it is absolutely needs to be out in the world. I will do everything I can <laughs> to spread the word as much as I can. Thank you. Well, thank you, ladies. This was an amazing conversation. I think this Great. is a, a, a good place for us to end, wrap this up, unless you have the, um, something else to add. Thank you message. for connecting Beth and me because well, we were all... out of touch <laughs> until, until this came, <laughs> this opportunity came. Uh, uh, all the credit goes, goes to Elizabeth. <laughs> Because well, if we didn't have talk it, about oh my yeah, yeah you uh, <laughs> and you were like the the engine of all of this because you reached out to me uh, in the first place mm -hmm. and then we had that amazing conversation and you mentioned the Oma program and now look at us we are all having this this great talk about yeah, small about world small <laughs> world exactly exactly yeah great thanks for the opportunity well thank you so much for coming I so appreciate that thanks. It has been another episode of In the Art Scene Podcast. If you liked today's conversation, please give us a good review on Apple and go listen to other great stories. Check out our website intheartscene.com or follow us on Instagram at intheartscene for more content. If you are a creative and you want to share your story, shoot us a message from the website or DM us on Instagram. Look forward to seeing you next time in the art scene.